Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Snap Out of It Radio Network. Hear all our great shows across the world. Join our community at SnapOutOfItRadioNetwork.com. So wake up. Stand up and snap out of it. Empowered Love with author, self-mastery coach, and relationship expert, Melanie Tanya Evans. Take back your power, heal your soul, and set yourself free. Free through Empowered Love. And now your host of Empowered Love, Melanie Tanya Evans. Hi everyone, I'm Mel and welcome to another Empowered Love radio show. So this radio show is our thriving after narcissistic abuse story. Now what was wonderful is that after, because the series was launched three weeks ago, the first story came out which was a late story and I've had so many messages on Facebook in the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Group and also emails from people saying, please keep these going. I'm glad you're doing these series because we really want some good stuff. We really want some good vibrational stuff to be able to align with and move forward into and that's what these shows are all about, to really inspire you and to let you know that other people have done this and that you can do this. So this show today is Evie, and Evie is inspirational, and it's a wonderful day here in Melbourne today. It is an inspirational day. We're having the most incredible autumn weather. I've done yoga this morning, had a beautiful walk on the beach. Hello. Hello.
Okay, hello. Okay, I'm back. I'm so sorry. The call just dropped out. Sometimes this happens with Blog Talk Radio, but we're all confused. So, as I'm saying, it is. It's a beautiful day here in Melbourne. We're having the most incredible weather. And our lives moving forward are all about getting into inspiration, getting into joy, and getting into real life, which is such a far call from narcissistic abuse and the narcissistic abuse experiences that we actually had. Okay, so this show today is Evie. This show today is about a lady who has, who was married for 21 years and she had four children in a narcissistic marriage and she has been able to move out of that marriage, reclaim her life. So, during this show, you're going to learn about her journey, her growth, and how she has gained the empowerment and the confidence and the belief to create her new life. And that's what all of this is about. Now, what I just need to do is check that Evie is still there because when Blog Talk dropped, she might have dropped as well. So let me just work that out if we've still got her here. And if not, we'll just get her to call in. And if she hasn't called in, that's okay, because we'll get her to call in. So let's just see. Evie, are you there? No, she's dropped out. So hang on one minute, and I'll just message her, and we'll get her to call back in. Probably better this happened at the start of the show rather than during the show. Okay, here we go. We've got it back. Wonderful. Okay. Okay, we've got you, Evie. Yes, block talk dropped, or I dropped out, and then we're back again. And so, Evie, welcome, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Okay, well, let's just get into the interview and we're going to find out about your story because I know a lot of women are going to be able to relate. There are a lot of women in the community and men as well that have been in long-term relationships with narcissists. So rather than the explosive, shorter periods of time that somebody can be in a narcissistic relationship, people like yourself have been for decades living with a narcissist. So just to start off, tell myself and the viewers about your marriage, how long it was, and what it was like during the time that you were married. Okay. Well, the marriage was for 21 years, and I had four children with him. And there were red flags from the beginning, and I had no idea at the time that they were red flags. I remember talking to him about the lack of uh, communication and I was concerned and his response was that it was too hard and he just wasn't going to do anything uh, differently. And another time before we were married, um, I made an offhand remark about him quitting smoking and he absolutely lost his uh, temper and he refused to speak to me for a week. And so for that week, each evening after he got home, he would go straight to the basement and stay there. And I remember asking him finally to please speak to me. 
And when I think back, you know, about things like this, I think, oh, my goodness. And um, he was a guy who he drank and he isolated himself at times. And to me, this was a red flag, but I didn't pick up on it. And he also refused uh, to budget and he refused to, to financially plan for the future. And this to me now was a huge, huge red flag because it, you know, says to me now that he really didn't uh, have too much of a plan for a future. And on our wedding day, I can remember standing at the back of the church with my dad waiting to walk down the aisle. And it was a cold winter afternoon and the wind blew back the back door open and I turned and looked at it. And I just wanted to run. I felt so powerless because I was pregnant. And I know now, very codependent. There was already at this point a lot of emotional abuse. He had once already underhandedly suggested suicide, which was something my mom often did. He wasn't emotionally present at all. But at that time, I just didn't know any different. And to me, it was all normal because it was stuff that I had grown up with. I remember an incident in the early years where we went to a dance in his community, and he went off and ignored me. Um, I sat at the table, and I watched him dance with other women and carry on. And I wanted to just get up and leave and go pick up my kids from his parents and drive home and just leave him right then and there. And I couldn't get up the nerve to even walk out of the dance hall. And so I just sat there. Another time, as we were leaving his parents, and I said something wrong, and he did the classic punch a hole in the wall beside me thing. And so that's, you know, this punching a hole in the wall, um, once I read about the symptoms of abuse, um, that it's a classic of where it's, it's equivalent to actually hitting somebody, but, you know, they don't do it, they'll, they'll hit you right beside you. His parents were feeling sorry for him as we left that day, and he had proudly told me how he used to have a meltdown when he was little, and tear his room apart, and his mom would help him put it back together. She enabled him, and so did I. There were so many other incidents, um, like driving like a madman, if someone said something he didn't like, or slamming the door into a snowbank and getting out and, or slamming the car, I should say, into a snowbank and getting out and walking home. I had always thought he pretty much stopped drinking after we were married. Um, There were really no signs. Now I wonder if he ever stopped. I remember in the early years he got some sort of muscle infection in his arm and went to the doctor, and the doctor told him to stop drinking. Alcohol had showed up in his chest. And really, I remember, you know, hearing that report from the doctor thinking, huh? How can there be alcohol in this test? Because I have not, you know, we hadn't been out drinking socially. Um, I hadn't seen him, 
take a drink for quite a while and, you know, it showed up in his chest. And so it's things like that, you know, that as I look back now, I wonder if he ever really, you know, he probably drank all along. And I knew my marriage wasn't good from the beginning and I believed I could make it good. And I saw the narc husband as just a guy who, you know, he needed a little fixing up and a little healing and a little revamping. And I thought he loved me. And then if I was just devoted enough and I gave it my all, it would turn out good. And he had me believing. I know this is, you know, classic again about a narcissist, but he did have me believing that um, I was the one causing the problem. And he declared that there was nothing wrong with him and, you know, that if I was to get myself shaped up, everything would be better. And I did try really hard and I did really believe that I could make it work. And he used to tell me that I was the one having marriage problems. He wasn't having any problems. He was fine. He was happy. I was the one with the problems. So I expected very little uh, from him because this is what kept the peace in the house. And I now see how this pattern really carried forward from my childhood in all of this. And I stayed for all the years also because I believed it was the right thing to do in terms of holding a family together. I was also influenced by my religious beliefs and, you know, um, influenced by my idea of what a real family was. And, you know, I have to say that I have a totally different definition of family now. I also believe that I couldn't survive on my own with four kids. I think the lowest point for me was when I became pregnant with my fourth child at age 38, nine years after my third. I was successful in my new business and thinking, you know, that I was in a pretty good position to leave him back then. I found out that I was pregnant and I was struggling with my health. And I have to share, by the way, that um, my fourth child is absolutely the best oops ever in my life and that I love him totally and I have no regrets about having him. I don't know if I was depressed because of postpartum or the sadness of not getting out and having another child. I opted out of meds and I chose to spend thousands on therapy and this was a dark time for me, very dark. We had a family dog and I used to spend a lot of time on the back deck with him, brushing and grooming him. We were getting quite bonded spending our days together. And this was, you know, this was during the time that um, I was pregnant because I was, you know, at home and all the kids were in school and so it was just me and my dog at home. The kids and I went away for the weekend and I asked him to finish some grooming while we were gone. And when we got home, he pulled me aside right away and told me he had shot my dog, another classic. This is a classic symptom, you know, of of abuse. I was so devastated and confused. I'd grown up on a farm and had dealt with the death of animals. But this seemed so cruel to me, and I had never felt this way. The abuse continued through the years. He did not ever hit me. He didn't have to. 
but I always felt he would. He was an angry man with his own agenda. He was financially abusive, controlled the finances, refused to discuss future plans, just did his own thing. He was definitely emotionally abusive. There was no connection at all. He was very passive aggressive and played head games a lot. I remember when we moved to a new town and bought a home, he refused to like any homes that I liked because we were looking. And the day we got the keys, he would not be present for possession. There was always a mind game going on. And it was things like, if my battery went dead and I needed a boost, he would be sure to make me wait for at least an hour. He always asserted his power and let us know who was boss. About a year before I told him to leave, he initiated marriage counseling because he wanted some peace. And this was confusing to me because we never fought. There really was no communication or very little at all. In counseling, he was told that he had the rules set so nothing was expected of him and that if he wanted marriage, he had to change. He told me later that if I wanted communication, he would give it to me, but that it was really dark in there. He was describing himself. And, you know, this amazes me to this day how sad for him to live like that. I don't feel sorry for him. I just think it's really sad. And so 21 years and four children later, I finally gathered the courage together and told him to leave. This was such um, a fearful time, and it was a really big step out for me. I had started college, and I was well on my way to finishing up, and so I felt uh, pretty secure. I didn't realize at that time how I was seeking security from others in my outside life. I didn't trust myself enough at this point. Education is, of course, wise. It was a trust and confidence. Um, that was the problem. Approximately six months after he left, my health started to fail, and I was struggling with inflammation that was moving from one organ to the next. I kind of hit the floor, so to speak, and I was hit with exhaustion. Now I think it was aftershock. I took a year off college and did not pursue divorce yet. I continued to keep no contact, not realizing how much it was affecting me. We didn't carry on a relationship per per se. I just kept contact, you know, for what I thought uh, was the kid's sake at the time and also out of fear of finances because, you know, there, there is no separation agreement in place as yet. And I was still just trying to keep the peace and not rock the boat and I wasn't in a position to support myself financially. I was ill-informed about legal issues, and most importantly, I was afraid of him. I knew um, what he was capable of simply from his track record, and I was also afraid to be on my own and afraid he would be worse if I left. He used to threaten me that he would make less money and make a starve if I left. It amazes me now as I look back in hindsight how the relationship dynamics were so right to facilitate the abuse. 
there was such a power and balance and I believed I could fix it all and take care of everyone. And this meant he didn't need to take any responsibility and he certainly didn't. I see now how he believes there is nothing wrong with him and that he is a victim of the world and most importantly, a victim of me. Yeah, Evie, your story a lot of people would relate to relate to the narcissist that is blaming you all the time and saying that there is nothing wrong with me. It's all about you. And the narcissist, you know, even when saying, well, we can do counselling together, but it's all about your problems. And, and, and the fact is with codependence, absolutely we do have problems, but they're not the problems yeah. that the narcissist is projecting onto us and saying, it's the lack of responsibility that is projected onto us and saying, well, these are your problems, what's going wrong here, where it's the narcissist self-avoiding and not wanting to take any responsibility. And, you know, what he said to you was very honest. It's a dark place in there. You know, that's probably one of the times yeah. he's the most honest, that if you want me to share me and be authentic, it's going to be really dark because that's what's going on for me. You know, Evie, that is awful for all the animal lovers out there, and I'm an incredible animal lover. There's the shooting of a dog. You know, the cruelty of that nearly brings me to tears. That just must have been horrific for you in your life, let alone everything else that was going on. And it's not really uh, no wonder with all of those years and what you suffered that your body was breaking down because what happened for all of this is the emotions of the signal that created the emotional distress. And if they continue for long enough, well, then they go physical. There's no other way that it can go. So, Evie, you talked about, in your description, you stated that your childhood had a lot to do with the marriage that you entered into and the marriage you endured. Can you just expand on that a little? Okay. Um, well... I was born into a family of six children, and um, I would say I consider my mom uh, to be special needs because she was stricken with um, rheumatoid arthritis at about age 30, and even uh, she was stricken so bad that she was confined to a wheelchair for a while, you know, in the early onset of the disease. And so the reality, you know, of growing up like that was that she didn't seem to have space, you know, for the children and their needs. And I, I have since, you know, as part of my recovery and, and learning, I've read about the narcissism that's caused by physical illness and my mom sure, you know, seems to fit that description. And my dad was a very quiet man and he was absent much of the time and um, he had a heart for my mom and she uh, seemed to get away with so much. He, he just didn't put up boundaries with her. And, you know, it was too, she was in a lot of pain all the time and she was, you know, doing a lot of meds and, you know, so everybody took care of her kind of thing and she really did expect it. So it did affect me. And I was the oldest of three girls. And so I learned at a young age that it was my role to caretake situations and make everything okay and to do this in silence. 
And so now as I think about my childhood, I see how I was the child who was silent and care took things in order to have peace and sanity. And, you know, I definitely wanted to please my mom and just make, you know, her happy and the, the home happy and just to gain her approval and all of those kind of things. Um, and being the caretaker from an early age absolutely can set people up for long-term narcissistic abuse, for enabling, taking on the responsibility of the messes, holding the household together, and doing what women believe they are supposed to do, which is to yes. keep it all going. And a lot of women fall into that trap, and especially the women uh, and men that are doing long-term narcissistic relationships, definitely. So, Evie, when did you finally decide to create no contact and break away and and really get onto your healing? When did that happen? Um, In about September of 2011, I started to approach the idea of, of divorce. And it was also in this month that I, I hit a deer and, and, you know, suffered some pretty bad whiplash. And so I always wonder, kind of wonder, too, you know, if that wasn't a part of sort of something that happened to cause me to wake up a little bit more. Because I really, at that point, I really don't think I was awake, you know, to the reality of what had really been going on. And so it was during that time that I started to notice things about my house, such as things going missing, windows unlocked, and I was no longer feeling safe in my home, and important papers were going missing, and just things, I I just started to feel unsafe in my home. Um, I now believe that he was coming in when I wasn't home. I was unaware of it. So I passworded my computers and I took all my important papers and journals out of the the house. And what I didn't, you know, what papers I didn't take elsewhere, I started to take out of my house every day. Um, I started, I would say, this is the point of where I really started to figure out that I needed to change my boundaries. It was a wake-up call. I even approached the local locksmith about cutting keys for my house, and he said he would cut keys for who, whoever's name was on the house. I also have a combo lock on the door, you know, but that um, that was hard to... I could change the numbers, but he would just watch, you know, my son punch them in, and so that wasn't full, a foolproof solution either. So in January, you know, about January of the next year, I came home one evening to find access to my computer gone. Everything was messed up, and there was a strange box behind the armoire. And so I left that evening, and I went to a friend's home with my son. And, you know, I I really left because I was starting to hit bottom, just really getting tired of having to deal with everything. And so, I, you know, and when I returned the next day during the day into the home, the box was gone. And so, you know, I, I knew that it, 
that period of time was my wake-up call that there was, you know, probably far more going on than what I was realizing. And so, you know, I went, I decided to just take a break and go stay with my friends. And, you know, I spent my days on the computer searching for answers. And it was during this time, Melanie, that, you know, I found your website and I just started to read. And um, I was just so ready for change. I had really had enough. But I thought I could do it on my own. And so I chose at that point not to buy the NART program. But I did start no contact, you know, during that time with my friends. I knew that I had to really get serious about things. And it was in that spring that my dad fell ill and I entered the, he entered the hospital and he passed away at the end of June. But the pain was mounting and other pressures to the point of where, you know, during that time, I think it was about in May, that I had a mild onset of paranoid psychosis. The stalking from earlier on that year had brought on enough fear and stress, I guess, coupled with already the inflammation I had had, you know, for the last couple of years, I'd had that inflammation was moving through my body, organ to organ, and I just wanted to heal from it all. And I just knew in the depths of me that there was more and that I was capable of getting to a better life. And so I entered emergency and went to a mental health facility to be assessed, and I chose to go home and rest and begin meds. And the meds made me incredibly sleepy. I did not like them. And I stayed on them for a couple of weeks, and I took myself off. I just found, you know, because it was during that time that my dad was in the hospital, and I was so sleepy and I felt like an absolute zombie and I just wasn't working and so I took myself off the meds and I informed uh, my doctors that I had come off. The fear and the pain continued as well as the milder paranoid thoughts and in the beginning of August I tried another med and this one was better. The running thoughts ceased and I struggled a lot less with the OCD. And, you know, I should just mention, too, that the OCD really, I didn't have it. It started back in January. It started from the, you know, checking doors, checking my mail, checking things, not feeling safe in my home. And so that's just, you know, really good example of what trauma and fear, you know, can do to a person. But the pain and fear continued, and so again in September, um, I purchased NARP and I got to work. Yeah, look, the OCD I think is such a common thing that really does happen with people that are in relationships with, with narcissists or separating from narcissists that they're still connected with because there are so many things that the narcissist is capable of. And once you get a whiff of those things, and once you start experiencing those things, well, then your mind is always in overdrive thinking, what could he do next? He or she, of course, if you're, if you're male. Yeah. 
But what is this person capable yeah. of? What could happen out of the blue? What could what could they do here? They say one thing, they do another. They do one thing, they say another. You know, your mind is always ticking, and it's a really, really unhealthy way to live, but it is totally, totally understandable. So, you know, in amongst all of this, because I know there are a lot of people out there that have children, you know, with narcissists, so if we can just digress a little bit, but have a look at, you know, how the journey... Now, we know that you're, you're in a great place now, and we're going to talk about that more in this interview, but how has the journey been for your children throughout all of this? Um, I think it's been a really hard road for my kids, really. They grew up in a home um, where their parents have, you know, what I believe to be a pathological bond. Uh, two of my kids were telling me for years to leave, but when he finally left, we were still all so confused. And one of my sons really has been angry uh, with me for a long while. And he told me um, after, you know, I asked his dad to move out, he told me that he wished that I would have just let him stay and make everything okay and take care of his dad. We were all coming along, and I think, you know, that considering it all, I really do think that we're doing, we're doing pretty good. I believe that uh, the answers lie in me taking responsibility completely for myself and having my kids witness this. And I think, actually, I have to stop here, Melanie, and say that I really do believe that this taking responsibility, taking full responsibility for recovery, is it has been, you know, an absolute key for me. Um, and I think really important for my kids to see, too. And an example was, you know, last Christmas Eve, my kids and I, we were watching The Help, and I cried and I cried and my daughter started crying and she said that, you know, she told me, she said, I sure like my new mom. And so that, that was, you know, it was actually just a really special moment uh, for us. And there have been so many little moments like this and they just continue. My youngest son and I often joke in the mornings before school or in the car and our happiness is increasing. I've asked my kids to forgive me for keeping them, keeping them in that situation, and they responded, this was two of my older kids, um, they responded, you know, with saying, Mom, let's just move forward now and be happy. And my one son, you know, that's been angry with me, he is slowly warming up to me, and so I... I just I choose to believe in the best future for me and my kids. You now what you said there, Evie, is so powerful. I saw this with my own recovery and my son, and I've seen this with countless other people. When we get emotionally authentic, when we stop trying to hide our pain from our children and when we take full responsibility for it, and allow them to see us as we are, knowing that we are working on our healing and our recovery, it is so empowering for them. And they heal as well through us and being a witness to all of that. 
And that's where emotional authenticity is the most powerful vibration of love. And it spreads and it works. And when we heal, our children heal. So it's lovely that you can share that and give other people hope with that. And what you're saying too is you're keeping your focus on in believing for the best for all of us. When, as parents, we're stuck in the guilt and the remorse and what we put our children through, we keep holding them in that vibrational reality. But when we actually accept and believe that everything was meant to be, even for this whole journey as well, and we start believing and seeing in the best for all of us, that's exactly the vibration that we start manifesting. And that's where our kids go with us. So it's so important to clear our fear and our pain and our guilt and our remorse and all of the things that we think are caring about our children and we think that worrying about them is caring about them, but it's actually keeping them stuck and it's keeping them in pain. So it's been gorgeous you've been able to do that. So, Evie, how did you find your progress went after starting the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Program? Um, okay. Um, at the beginning, um, I had immediate and fast relief from the pain, and it was a good thing, and I found it all quite easy. And I was so amazed with the healings, and I felt so grateful. I posted on the Facebook page a lot, and I, I, just, I was so taken aback by the healings. And I think, you know, during that time, Melanie, that was the time when I would often post to you on the page and just say thank you, thank you, because that's truly how I felt. It's just because I was in so much pain and I couldn't believe how after every session I could tell that I I would feel just lighter and better and just a little bit brighter um, each time. And then there came a point where it seemed to become more intense and I found myself crying a lot more and uh, having to go deeper to release the pain. And as I was releasing, I knew that um, there were a lot of patterns within me uh, which had always been my stuff that required healing. And so that that was really, I think... It was during that time that I was really getting to the heart of the matter. And it was also during, you know, that time that I learned about resistance and letting go. And these were such times of healing, even though at times I, you know, I had to put effort in, the results were were so great. And I knew I was releasing layers and layers of fear and, you know, just deep subconscious patterns. And as I look back now, I see how so very afraid I was. I was afraid of everything, and I trusted hardly anyone. I was afraid of my mom as a child. I was afraid of my ex as an adult. I was afraid of childbirth. I was afraid of getting post-secondary education. And I, But I think the thing that I was most afraid of was being alone. My boundary system was weak and... I just needed empowerment. And I found that as I healed, I connected more to myself. And of all the modules, you know, I think these are the healing modules in the NARP program. 
I would have to say that number three was absolutely the most profound for me. I really had no idea how much I did not like myself and how low, you know, my self-esteem was and how angry I was at myself for staying and putting up with as much as I did. And uh, it was probably, I shared this on the Facebook page the other day, it was probably about a month ago, I was walking into the kitchen and I had the thought of, oh, I'm just not angry at myself anymore. I just, I'm not angry at myself. I think I've, you know, I've really worked on forgiveness. I've forgiven myself. And I I can say honestly that I've fallen in love with myself. And so that, Aww, that was the key. Yeah, the key, I think, turning point for me too is to just really have that conscious thought. And so I'm learning that my happiness and my safety and all else that I need does not come from other people or outside circumstances. And I'm learning to be a source to myself. And this is profound and it gives me such um, a secure feeling. And I can say now that I can happily say that um, I I walk with a bounce in my steps. And I have a sense of optimism for my future as I look to source to provide. And I have dreams now, and I spend the majority of my time focused on these good things. You know, whereas even back in January, February, you know, up until the summer, I was still spending a lot of my time focusing on him. And I can really say that I just don't do that anymore. And um, I'm I'm not dating right now, and I'm so happy to have this time to work on my life. I'm fine. I no longer dwell on this awfulness, and I've come to accept that all is divine, including him. He caused me to come to this place I'm now in, and I accept this. Every once in a while, I'm tempted to have ill thoughts about him, and I remind myself, you know, that um, he too is divine, and it's just such a it's such a good relief to not be carrying these yuck feelings of you know about him around with me all the time. I'm relatively new in my healing, and I know that there is so much more. I used to spend my days dealing. I think this is another really important thing that I want to stress is. You know, that I used to spend my days dealing. I was constantly dealing with the drama caused from such a dysfunctional relationship that I really didn't grow personally. And so now that I've let go of the toxic relationships, I no longer have to deal. And I feel I'm finally at a place where I can deal with me. And so, Melanie, I've purchased your next program, and I believe that this is the heart and soul of where I'm really going to get to deal with me. You know, whereas in the NARC program, I was dealing with getting, dealing with the effects of, you know, a lifetime of abuse, but I think this next step is great because I get to really, you know, get into the business of me. That's 
beautiful lady. And I just love what you said, that I'm falling in love with me. And that's what in love is. Absolutely, it is. It all starts with self. And the thing is that when we do the deeper inner healing on our program, we understand that lining up with the life we want, with the love and the success and the expansion and the joy that we want is the deal between us and us. And when we do that, we can let go of the other people that we believe have been responsible for not allowing that to happen in our lives. Because the irony is that so many of us can come up with an excuse to keep us separated from our own well-being. First of all, we self avoid and we don't know what's left and we don't deal with our old abuse and our old false belief systems and our old painful programs. And then we look to the outside and we blame other people for our pain. And the interesting thing is, is whenever we want to move forward into that joy and that happiness and that love, which is what everybody wants without exception, and we hold somebody else responsible for that, that we can't or we don't or because of you I can't, well then we're always going to keep ourselves separated from it. And that's why it has to be that inner journey between ourselves and self. And then we break through to a part of accepting and loving and forgiving ourselves and falling in love with ourselves to actually realize that we are that force that does create that, regardless of what anybody else is or isn't being or doing or what they were in our life. It's not, our life is not between them and them. It's between us and ourselves. So that's beautiful. I love hearing that. Okay, so now you have been very, very active in the Facebook group. You've been a gorgeous inspiration to people that were coming in and starting the journey. So how have you found the Recovery Facebook group coupled with the NARP program for your recovery? How has it personally been for you? Oh, okay. Well, I think for me, the Facebook group, Melanie, has been such a powerful learning place for me. Um, I've I've especially learned to open up there, and I find it to be a very safe place. And I've also made some pretty great friends on there, some friends of whom I'm actually meeting. And, for example, later this month, a friend that I've made on there, um, we're going to Vancouver for a short holiday. So, you know, it's, it's, to me it's, it has the potential to be more than just an online group. And, you know, it's so nice to open up an email from a friend in South Africa whose life seems to par- parallel mine in unbelievable ways. And some people say that cyber relationships are not real and when I hear things like that, I think when I think about my own experience with this group, I to me it is real. And the page is a strong base, not only for recovering, but also getting to to healing, to a life of thriving. And I be, I believe there's a big difference in between just recovering from the abuse versus using the abuse to heal our unhealed parts so that we get to live a life of thriving, which means a life that is filled with joy and good stuff and filled with love versus, you know, just just recovering and living in that recovery level 
after abuse. And um, the group also, it's the code of conduct that um, I have a lot of respect for what you've written um, in this code of conduct, Melanie. And in my experience, I'm, I'm healing to change my thought patterns, the way I choose to handle my emotions, my boundary system, and no more so my very body chemistry, right down to the structure of myself. And I think that's one of the key things that last January, when I started reading on your website and I read that, I thought, oh my gosh, this is you know far bigger than what I've ever realized. And to me, in order to do this, we need a clear direction that, that we have to follow if we're going to get there. And there's so much kind, loving direction on that page from the veterans who have been there, done that. It's amazing. To me, the support is amazing. And we have Debbie who posts educational art- articles regularly, and it helps so much you know, especially because when we first get there, we're so uninformed and the education that we receive there is invaluable. And I found that Debbie is very uh, devoted in watching what's going on on the page and sort of staying in tune with the information that would maybe benefit, you know, the the people that are posting at the time. And so... She's really keen on searching for articles and posting them. And to me, it's such a good thing because it kind of keeps everybody on track and, you know, keeps everybody informed. And so really, to me, it's more than a group. It's really a community. Yeah, I agree, Avi. And it's been a wonderful thing to see the narcissistic future recovery group morph and evolve the way it has with the focus on recovery and thriving, which is so much more than just surviving because the standard model from narcissistic abuse recovery is I might be able to get out and I can stay away, but the pain and the fear and the obsession and, and, and the fear in life, the contraction of myself, that's going to shut me down and keep me stuck in my old emotional patterns and really mean that I could be looking at more abuse or I'll be on my own because I'm going to be too scared to open my heart to connect to life and expand. Now, to me, that's not living. That is not living. And that's why the page is so much about, okay, how do we heal? How do we turn all of this around so that we can open up to and becoming that safe force in life that creates an authentic, joyous life? And that's what I love seeing happening on the page as opposed to so many other recovery groups that people are on there for months and years banging on on the same pain. And this is a massive irony of life. And this is an energetic law of life. How can we say we want love and joy when we continue to stay focused on pain and abuse? You can't. It's that you hold yourself separated from what you really want because you're vibrationally replaying and staying stuck in the manifestation vibration of pain and abuse, which is not what this page is about. It's about healing and releasing that so that you can open up and create the authentic life you want. So, 
you've been so lovely in there, you know, and you've inspired so many people, and I love seeing people do that when they get a taste of that, of releasing the pain and moving forward and say, come with me, come with me on this journey, you can come with me, and you can be safe and you can be nurtured and you can get empowered and you can get great boundaries going and you can heal. And as you said, Debbie is fantastic. Debbie is such a beautiful force on there whose heart and soul is in that place of helping others. We've got some amazing, gorgeous human beings in in that group. So it's just a joy to be a part of. So, Evie, since you've been doing this inner healing journey and working on your subconscious and really working to be a thriver, how has your life changed overall? Mm. My life, it's changing constantly. And I think the biggest change that I've experienced is the level of pain that I carry that I have now compared to before. It is so considerably less and also the fear. And I can honestly say that at this point, my fear of him is gone. And I know that I still have other fears to work through. And that uh, I have so much confidence now um, from working the modules that whenever fear comes up or I'm triggered or something happens, I've had enough experience with it now that I know that I can shift it and get it dealt with. And so that, that very experience alone uh, has brought me a lot of security in that I know that I can get through the things, you know, that come up and still keep moving forward. Um, I'm very content with being alone now. And as I shared earlier, I'm not dating and I'm happy to work on myself. And I did date earlier and found that I was really attracting the same kind of men who are relatively the same as the ex. And I've come to appreciate that I I still need more healing and I'm happy, you know, to take the time to do just that. And I'm doing lots of things now. My creativity is coming alive. I've taken up the art of creating jewelry and I'm going to take a fused, uh, some fused glass training at the end of May and I will focus on creativity going forward. And that's also one of the things that while I was living in the abuse and the strife, um, I remember I used to sit down with my paints and try to get into painting and I just couldn't. And I didn't have I didn't have the knowledge back then about being able to live in the moment, but I knew that that's you know what I was really trying to do, and I couldn't get into the present moment. But now I find when I, you know, settle down or I uh, to get into creativity or um, I want to settle into meditation or just many times during the day that now I'm very much able to just be in the present moment. You know, I can't say that I do that all of my waking minutes, you know, of the day, but I'm definitely, I've, come really long ways in that and that's been a really good thing too 
and I'm spiritual, and so I'm enjoying learning about, you know, all the things I'm seeing. And I'm particularly taken up with angels, and I'm studying about them, and I'm learning to trust the universe and go to source or God. And, you know, there there are so many names, really, uh, but to me, they're all the same. And I'm spending time with my kids and, you know, building relationships with them, and we're we openly more so than ever we express love and we're open you know open communication we're definitely in the process of healing and some of my old friends um they've fallen away as i've changed and i'm i'm enjoying building new friendships you know that are that are more of a match for the new me and some of these old relationships were pretty codependent anyway. And so I'm, that's another thing that I'm really looking forward to is building more, you know, um, functional ones, I guess, would be the word. And as I shared earlier, I'm going on a, a holiday with a gal that I met in a group this month. And I think, you know, another really cool thing about meeting people in the group is that you get to connect with people who automatically, once they do their homework and they get educated, you know, about narcissistic abuse and they understand it, that, they, you know, we, we have empathy. We share empathy for each other. And also, I think, you know, being educated and understanding that we can look forward to so much more than recovery that together we're actively working towards thriving, you know, to connect and make friends who share that same goal, to me, is absolutely invaluable for me right now. And my family relationships are changing as I put up new boundaries, and this is really a work in progress, and I have have confidence that there will be more healing and happiness as a result of this. Um... I have the biggest heart for people coming out of abuse, and especially the newcomers to the Facebook page who are dazed and often in shock. I have a sense that this probably will not lessen for me, and I doubt that I will ever forget what I went through. And so I think, you know, one of the things that I've made a decision is that I'm going to turn and use what my experience of living in the abuse, I'm going to turn it and use it for a good thing. And so if that means that I can help other people and help to bring them along and bring them out, it's, you know, it's part of, it has to be, there has to be a good reason why I went through this, and I think this is it. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And, you know, for people that uh, have been sitting back and thinking about NARP and sitting back and thinking about doing the energetic healing, you know, please know that when you get involved and you do decide to really, you know, get to those inner subconscious programs and start healing powerfully, that by being a part of the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Group, uh, as well, that you've got Amy there, you know, constantly, as well as many other people, really holding your hand and really helping you come forward and move forward into the space where she's at. And I'm sure she's going to be involved in that um, for quite some time because 
like we all do, we remember how bad it was and, and how good it can get, and that's the important thing. So, Evie, what advice would you grant to people who have been in long-term marriages or relationships with narcissists? And, you know, these are the people that might have decided and they know they have to get out or they've just got out or what would, what would your advice be? Because you've been there. Um, I think first and foremost, my advice would be don't focus on the number of years or the damage experienced. Um, get straight to the business of healing. And for me, because I chose NARC and it absolutely worked for me, I say I would advise the same thing. Do NARC and go at it with the power and the might. Don't hold back. And I, I think it's important to say here, too, that, you know, I shared that at the point where, you know, I had postpartum depression or I was just gone into depression, you know, because of the state of the marriage and all of that. But I did do uh, therapy for about two years. I spent $190 on each session, and I did a session every three weeks. And I did this for two years. And it wasn't just $190 on a session. I traveled two and a half hours uh, one way to do to do this therapy. So there was also, you know, the expense of the traveling and meals, et cetera, um, involved. And I can honestly say that, you know, the therapy was good. But it was very expensive. But I feel I got very fast, strong, positive results for an absolute fraction of the price of, you know, what I spent on that therapy. And it's easy. You know, I did it in the comfort. I've done the modules in the comfort of my own home at my time, you know, according to my uh, convenience, and very, very, very effective. Module um, one, I think, for me, gave me the um, immediate, uh, you know, it took me out of the worst of the agony. And I have to share, too, that there's a mom of five in the group who was so has been so devoted to her healing program that she would even go out to her van to do the modules. You know, she shows determination and she just wants to heal. And also I would say, you know, because now as I think back, I remember how closed I was, that um, to to really try to open up when you get into the Facebook page and just trust people in the group. Um, because I, I really believe that people there would have, you know, they've had my best interests at heart, and so I know I see the devotion there and... I've seen so much good happen there. And I would say don't spend time lingering in the pain and all the other negative emotions that come with sustaining narc abuse. Pain, fear, and so much more can be powerfully shifted by doing the work. And that sometimes, yes, it's work because sometimes you have to dig deep and you know really work at getting to the heart of the matter but the rewards are so worth it. 
And there is such an incredible amount of information on your website, Melanie. I'm still amazed by this. Um, you know, and even like now, if I'm wondering about something or I'm struggling, I can go on your page. The resources are there. I can quickly look underneath, you know, in your blog, in your radio shows, or in your articles. And I've always found an answer to what I was wondering about. And often, too, especially in the early days, I would just post on the Facebook page and ask a question and ask for direction, you know, and get the support that I needed there. And I think, too, that the thing that I really, really, really want to emphasize is that it's important to take full responsibility, you know, for our life and to really work at actively moving out of that victim stage, you know, to get into recovery and then after recovery to move into thriving. But in order to get to those places, you know, I found that I had to really own my place of where I was at and take responsibility for it. And I have to share to you that, you know, back in the January when I wasn't living in my home, I was staying with a friend and I really was in victim mode then and still uh, quite focused on him and, you know, quite focused on what happened, all the things that happened back there. And I wasn't moving forward. And, you know, I was laying this out to my sister one day and she said to me, you know, um, I think you're not moving forward because you are getting something from all of this. And I was angry at her. I was upset, you know, that as I spent the next week thinking about it, you know, really what she was doing was she was talking about peptide addiction when she said that I was getting something from it and that I wasn't moving forward. I was stuck in, in victimhood. And that was getting me nowhere. And so... You know, I think of all the things that I would say, I would say, learn all that you need to learn and do whatever you need to do to get to recovery. Yeah, I think that is so true. It's, well, peptide addiction, for those of you that hear this radio show that don't quite understand it yet or don't really know, the, if you have a look on the blog, the YouTube videos will explain it to you. But it is so, so true that our peptide addiction, which is our ego and our pain body, wants to hold it separate from the good in our life. And how we do that is we focus outside of ourselves and we make somebody or something else responsible for that. However, you know, when we realize we're doing that and we realize it's not serving us, your friend is very wise in what she said. She said, you are getting something out of that. Your ego, your pain body was having all the excuses and the reasons to keep you separated from who you really are. And that, it's amazing how we do get the messages from people, even if we don't want to hear them. So it's wonderful, Evie, that you turned all of that around. And the lovely thing is, is that it's really only been, and it has only been a few months, of you doing the deeper inner work on this that has not just turned around your abuse experience, 
but it's also created you as a completely different vibrational person than what you were before this even happened to you. And that's what the whole goal is. It really is. Evie, thank you so much for coming on and doing your interview. I think that's going to help a lot of women that have, and, and men that have been stuck in long-term relationships knowing that there is a way out and through to a new life. So I'm sure the community and myself, we really can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome, Melanie. I'm I'm happy to have done this and... Like I said, it you know it's, it heals me more, and I hope that it helps others. Absolutely, and I'm sure that we're going to be seeing a lot more of you on the in the Facebook group. You just a gorgeous energy and influence in there, and uh, and also please know that this uh, a transcript of this conversation, this interview, is coming out on the blog tomorrow. And Evie is going to answer any questions that you would like to ask her if you can really relate to her story and if you want help. So that's a lovely thing that she's going to do as well. And for people that are going to be getting involved in NARP, which really is the fast track getting to the root of the problem and the core of your healing, you're going to be having a lot to do with Evie in the group as well. So I'm sure many of you will be meeting her personally. So thank you, Evie, and lots of love to everybody, and I'll be back next week. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.